You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. We're going to start a brand new series this morning called My Peace I Give to You. And somebody said, well, where did that come from? Well, let me tell you, you know, it's interesting to me that for our Wednesday night Bible study, and, and you know, I don't pretend to, I don't, I don't want to portray that I'm a prophet or something like that, but I, I do pray until I hear from heaven and uh, so on Wednesday nights when we were, when we finished our series on the covenant and uh, we were changing gears and, you know, I was praying and seeking the Lord to, as to what to teach on Wednesday night for Wednesday night Bible study, the Lord very clearly said that uh, one of the challenges that God's people face is we don't understand the times and the seasons of the Lord. And what that means is we don't understand what, how God is moving, when God is moving, what he's wanting to but, uh, you know, it, God it clearly wants us to understand the times and the seasons. You know, one of the strongest rebukes that Jesus made to the religious leaders of the day was, as he said, you can stand outside and tell what's going to happen by the weather. You know, if it's red in the morning, sailor's warning and all that good stuff. And, uh, but he said, you can't, you're not smart enough or wise enough to be able to discern the times and seasons of the Lord. And so, uh, you know, again, you know, he gave me that to talk about on Wednesday night. And then as I was praying, as we wound down the last service or the last series, rather, uh, that the Lord very clearly spoke to my heart and said, I, I want my peace to, people to live in peace. And so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to read anything extra into that, but it could be that maybe the Lord knows something we don't know and that uh, he's wanting us to be aware and, and alert that maybe, you know, there might be some, some situations there, that are going to happen in our world that would cause us to be agitated and upset, worried and anxious, you know? How many of you have noticed, uh, you know, things like gas prices and food prices and those types of things are... are climbing and so forth. Well, we can still have peace in the middle of all of that. Thank you for those two amens. But uh, anyway, we're going to get into this and, and I'm very, very excited. Now I want to give you right off the bat, I didn't include this in your notes, but I want to give you right off the bat, here is a key for you to be able to receive something fresh from the word of God every time you open it. Would you like to, to know a key in that? Okay, well, here's, the, here's what you do. If um, you're going to approach the Word, and it might be scriptures that you've heard before or studied before, the key to the Word of God remaining fresh to you is this, and I, I was thinking about this as I was studying. You know, one of the things that frustrated the Lord with the children of Israel, how many of you know God took care of the children of Israel for the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. What did he provide for them every day? Food. What, what did it fall as in the, in the form of manna? Okay, and then he provided the quail for them. 
And one of the things that frustrated God was that the people complained about the same thing every day. In, in, in really what they were saying is, Lord, or, or, or God, we, we're tired of what we've already had. We want something new. Okay, now listen to me carefully. The mistake we make in the body of Christ is when we approach the word of God and we have an attitude that says, I've heard that before, I want something new. Okay, and so the key to the word of God remaining fresh to you and always bringing revelation to you is this. Approach it as it's the first time you heard it or approach it as it's the first time you read it. Okay, and that will cause the word to always remain fresh to you. All right, so that being said, let's look at our foundation scripture for this series. John 14, verse 27. John 14, verse 27. I'm going to read it in the New King James, and then I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible. The New King James says this, peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. Everybody say peace. I leave with you. My peace. Everybody say my peace. Okay, so who's doing the talking here? Who's doing the talking? Somebody say it like you mean it. Who's doing the talking? Jesus. Okay, so if he says my peace, whose peace is this? All right, so it's Jesus' peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, can I ask you a question? If Jesus himself was to walk in the room this morning, I mean in, in the flesh, and you could see him like you see in me, and he said, I want to give you something. How many of you would say, well, you know, Lord, maybe not today. Or how many of you would say, yes, Lord, I want whatever you have to give to me. All right. Well, the Bible implies, and it says this in other scriptures, that, that the word, written word of God is more sure than if an angel appeared to you and spoke to you. So what Jesus is saying here, he wants to give you a gift, and it's called his peace. How many of you could use Jesus' peace? He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, the 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 last phrase there, this subject implied is, you let not your heart be troubled. So I want to just start this off by saying this, it is up to you whether your heart gets troubled and afraid. Okay? So it is up to you and me and the decisions that we make as to whether our heart is troubled or afraid. He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let's skip over. Let's look at the amplified version. It says this, peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So this isn't the world's peace. This is Jesus' peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. So that just really 
blows it up. It amplifies it exactly like the translation says. But I want to uh, just draw a comparison here that Jesus says, my own peace I now give and, and bequeath to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Okay, so this, this isn't like the world's peace that the world tries to give you. This is Jesus' peace. Let's look at another reference in John the 16th chapter at verse 33 in the Amplified again. Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have, and, and the Amplified expands it even more, you may have perfect peace. Now I think it would go without saying that Jesus' peace is perfect. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, as I have read through all four of the Gospels, I never see one time where Jesus was upset, anxious, worried, intimidated, I mean, you know, uh, wringing his hands, trying to figure out, Lord, what are we going to do? You know, in all the situations that they faced, not one time was he unsettled or anxious about anything. And so if Jesus had that kind of peace in the middle of the world in which we all live, then guess what? You can have the same peace because why? He gave you his peace. So he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation, trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain and undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Man, that is a mouthful. So Jesus clearly said, in the world which we live, there are going to be tribulations, trials, distress, and frustration, but be of good cheer. In other words, get happy about this, take courage, be confident, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. You know, that's a mic drop moment right there if there ever was one. I could, we could read that verse two or three times. I could pray and dismiss. And if we could learn how to believe that right there, we would have it made. Can I get an amen? amen. So write this down, please, if you're taking notes. It is clearly the will of God for the believer to live in the peace of Jesus Christ. Very clearly. It is the will of God for the, for the believer to live in the peace of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus said it is the will of God for us to live in peace, then maybe we need to find out what peace is. All right. So just so that there's not a bunch of varied opinions as to what peace is, let's look at the Greek word for the word peace. I put this in your notes. It is the Greek word irene. Irene, not Irene, like the lady, but Irene, okay? And it means this, opposite of war and dissension. Now, here's where it pertains to us. Peace of mind, tranquility, health, welfare, prosperity, every kind of good. Wow, what a definition. Now, Jesus said it's his will for you to have his peace. So what that means is that in his peace is peace of mind, 
tranquility, health, welfare, prosperity, and every kind of good. Anybody in here could use a little bit of that? All right. See, what we, what we have a tendency to default to is, well, peace is just me being calm. And that, that's part of it, okay? You need to be calm. But how about uh, a little health to go with that? Now, this is from the Greek. I didn't make this up. How about a little prosperity to go with that? How about every kind of good to go hand in hand with that? That all is encapsulated in the peace of God. Now, as I was studying this, <coughs> excuse me, this verse came to my thinking, and that was, and you're familiar with this, we're moving into a season in not too long where you'll, you'll hear this verse a lot from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah wrote and he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, say it, Prince of what? So he is the Prince of Peace. Now, just in case you were wondering, now by the way, for those of you who might be new to the Bible, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated to Latin and English, and then the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, then translated to Greek, Latin, and English. And so let's look at the Hebrew word for uh, peace, and that is this. The Hebrew word is shalom. You might have heard that word before. What it, it's traditional for two Jewish people, particularly uh, that are residents in Israel, to greet one another and say shalom. This is the way they say hello, how are you? They, they greet one another and they say shalom. Well, in the Hebrew, the word shalom means safe, well, friendly, good welfare, health, prosperity, peace, favor, rest, and then all is well. Man, I tell you what, that's awesome right there. So whether you're in the New Testament or you're in the Old Testament, peace means very much the same thing. It means that you're safe. It means you're well. It means that, you know, you're experiencing health, prosperity, peace, favor, rest, and you can say to whoever you need to say it to, all is well. That is the peace of God. And so God's plan is for us to experience this and to live this. Now, what I want to do in today's lesson is I want to begin to look at if, if it is the will of God for you to have the peace of Jesus Christ, then I can promise you there are some adversaries to that peace, meaning there are some that don't want you to experience that kind of peace. You know, the devil doesn't want you living in the peace of God. The devil doesn't want all those adjectives. He doesn't want you experiencing that in your life. So I can promise you there are some things that will come up in life that will be enemies to your peace. So I want to look at one today. So let's go over to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And this is in the New Testament. This is Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And he said this, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. 
Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Verse 7, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So what these two verses imply to me is that you don't get verse 7 if you're dealing and living in verse 6. So let's read that again. Verse 6, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. So I would say if this is what Paul addressed, and we're going to see in just a minute, it's something Jesus addressed. I would say that high up on the list, if not number one, worry is going to be the greatest enemy to you living in the peace of God. All right, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. So write this down, please. One of the greatest enemies to your peace in Jesus Christ is going to be worry. Worry. Now, if you've never dealt with worry, pray for the rest of us. Okay, and I'm just being honest and transparent. This is something that I have dealt with greatly in my own personal life. And, you know, I may, I might be going out on a limb here, but I would have to say maybe I'm not by myself in that. Anybody else? No, you don't have to answer, but anybody else might have experienced a little bit of that. All right. So if that's the case, then let's buckle our seatbelts and let's go and look and see what Jesus had to say over in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, all right? Maybe Jesus beat around the bush a little bit. Maybe he didn't, you know, wasn't as explicit as Paul was, all right? So let's look at Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, now if, it, if we could, if this was in maybe most Bibles, you would see it, it's in red, meaning that Jesus said this, all right? So it says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Well, Jesus, I mean, I've got to worry about my life. I mean, you know, if I don't worry about it, who else is going to worry about it? I mean, I got to worry about my life. Jesus said, do not worry about your life. So how many of you sitting here today, if the master tells you don't do something, how many of you say, well, then I must not do it? Anybody? Okay. Uh, does anybody scared or what's the deal? <laughs> All right. How many of you want to obey what Jesus said to do? All right. So do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now in the old King James, it says this, therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. Now, um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this this morning, but uh, because we've covered this in the past, but really what it says in the actual Greek language, it could be translated this way. Therefore, I say to you, take no anxious thought for your life. So what this, in, what this tells us is, again, as we've already established from what Jesus said in John 14 and 16, is that the choice for you to take an anxious thought or not depends upon the decision that you make, not what God makes. 
So the choice is yours is what I'm trying to say as to whether you take an anxious thought or not. Now, I want to say this to you, all right? And, and, you know, maybe this goes without saying, but I want to say it anyway. Jesus is not saying don't think about your life. You know, some people take what Jesus says and go to the ditch in the other side of the road where I'm not supposed to think about, you know, my life. I'm not supposed to think about my food. I'm not supposed to think about my clothes. So some people go through life looking like they didn't give a thought to what they were going to wear. All right. But I know that's none of us. All right. But what I'm wanting you to see is Jesus is not saying don't think about those things What he's saying is there is a line that you can think about your life. Jesus is not implying that you don't make a grocery list and plan ahead what you need to go to the grocery store and pick up. All right? See, I'm real bad about that. You know, how many of you have ever gone to the grocery store hungry? How many of you understand that's a mistake? How many of you have gotten home with stuff and you say, why did I get this? Because you went to the store hungry. In other words, you didn't have a plan. You didn't think about it. All right, so Jesus is not saying don't think about food. He's not saying don't think about your clothes. Don't think about your life. What he's telling us is there is a line that he doesn't want us to cross over where those thoughts become worried and anxious thoughts and steal your peace. All right, are you tracking with me? Okay, so Jesus said this. He asked a question in the latter part of this verse. He said this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, the answer to that question, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Life is more important. Now, he doesn't want you going around naked, and he doesn't want you going around hungry. But life is more important than both of those things. All right, so write this down, please. Jesus is saying to us by asking this question that one of the reasons we get caught up in worry is because we do not know what is important. Our priorities get messed up. Jesus is saying that one of the reasons that we get caught up in worry is because we do not know what is important. So if you're caught up in clothes and you're worried about clothes, you know, let let me give an example where it crosses over the line. Uh, How am I going to be able to afford to buy clothes? That's a question that crosses over the line. How am I going to be able to afford to buy groceries? Particularly, you know, if things still keep climbing up and going up. How am I going to be able to afford to buy gas for my car? Well, the reason that we ask those questions and we begin to get worried and anxious is because we don't understand there is something more important than those things. Those things are important. You need to think about them. You need to plan for them. You need to have them in your life. So what is it that is more important? And it's really this, that you've got a heavenly father that's concerned about your life. Bottom line. And can I help you with something? Okay. Everybody look at me for just a moment. 
The earth is not getting ready to run out of food. Contrary to what the media might be saying, you know, what farmers might be saying in Europe, all right, the earth is not getting ready to run out of food. As long as there's soil and water and sunshine, there could be some food. Might not be McDonald's, but it, it'll be some food. Are you listening to me? Okay. Can, can I help you about with something else? And, and I heard another minister say this, and I toyed around whether I wanted to, to say this, and I think I do want to say it, because um, there are a lot of alarmists in our culture today that get all upset and alarmed and upended about all kinds of crazy stuff. All right, here's a big one of our day, all right? Um, the world, the earth, let me use that phrase, the earth is not going to burn up because of global, global warming and climate change, okay? Now, man certainly can have an impact, but I, I want to ask you a question. The Bible in the book of Psalms, and Paul quotes it in Corinthians, he says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who created the earth? Some of you aren't sure. Who created the earth? Say it good and loud. God did. Did man create the earth? Okay. What do we, or where do we get off thinking we're powerful enough to destroy something that God created. Now, God is going to renovate this planet in the future, all right? And it will be with heat. <laughs> the Bible teaches that. However, by you going out and cranking your car up, you're not going to cause the planet to burn up, okay? So just, just be at peace and understand it's okay. Now, a lot of times you hear scientists that are alarmists that raise these theories and preach these theories. Can I help you understand why they do this? Because somebody made the decision that said, unless you do propagate this information, you will not get funding. Okay, so how many of you know motive, uh, money is a great motivator? Okay, so listen, I'm just saying, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a climatologist, but neither are you and neither is so-and-so on CNN, all right? I'm just wanting us to understand you do not have to lose your peace over things like that, all right? So, am I helping anybody? Okay, praise the Lord. So what is important? What is important is remembering that you have a God who cares for you. Now, let's just go to the extreme and let's say, uh, you know, let's say things do fall apart. I mean, and just get really, really bad. All right, just use your imagination with me for just a moment. Let's imagine for just a moment that you and I are forced because of all these conditions that they say are happening and so forth and so on, that we have to go and live in a desert because things got so dry and drought got so bad and so forth and so on. Well, 
You've got a book that tells you something. God can take care of a group of people in the middle of a desert. Read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, as I was studying and as I was going over this, the Lord brought this to my remembrance. So keep in mind, God delivered the children of Israel from the so-called abundance of Egypt and led them into the wilderness where there was nothing. Nothing. Think about this. And the Bible says that the Egyptians poured, unloaded a bunch of wealth on them before they left. They had a bunch of gold and silver and all kinds of stuff. And God led them into a wilderness where there wasn't one Walmart, one 7-Eleven, one quick trip, nothing. But yet, God took care of them, not for one day, not for a week, not for a month, but for 40 years. Now, just in case you have forgotten this, all right, I want to show you something. And most historians and theologians will believe or, or you know, teach that the children of Israel numbered approximately two and a half million people when they left Egypt, okay? So just... Just look at this with me for just a moment. All right, so again, we asked, I asked you this question earlier. What did God cause to fall down from heaven six days a week every morning? Manna. Manna from heaven. All right, so just in case you're wondering, it would take 4,500 tons of manna to feed two and a half million people every day. Do you know how much if I was to take, go to the store and buy a loaf of bread and crumble it up and rain it down, do you understand how much that would be for that to take place? Over a period of 40 years, it's 65,700,000 tons of Krispy Kreme donuts falling from heaven every single morning. I believe that's what they were. You can't prove it wasn't. It's my story and I'm preaching, all right? So, so that is a fact. That is what happened every morning, six days a week for the children of Israel, all right? Let's look at one other thing that God did. He caused quail. They, they cried out for meat. They got tired of the manna. They cried out for meat. God said, fine, I'll give you some meat. Every month, God would cause 90 million quail to fly into the camp of the children of Israel for 30 days. I mean, that's every month. Now, quail aren't real big. You know, quail, you don't go and buy a quail at the, the grocery store and it's like a turkey. Anybody ever eaten a quail before? It's about as big as your fist. Okay, so it's enough for one person, basically. Okay, and God did this. He didn't kill the quail and they just fell on the ground and so the children of Israel went out and picked them up. No, the Bible says God caused them to fly at a level where all the children of Israel had to do was step out of their tent and grab them and had enough for every family member, every person for all those days. How many? 90 
million per month. Do you know how many birds that is? Okay, you seem not too amazed by that. So just in case you were wondering, the Bible says that the children of Israel got thirsty. Anybody remember them crying out for water? Well, the Bible tells us that there, and I don't understand it. I'll understand it when we get to heaven because I'm going to ask about it. But the Bible says there was a rock that followed the children of Israel everywhere they went for 40 years. They went to this spot. They turned around. There was that rock. They go over here to this spot. They turn around. There was that rock. And every day, water would flow out of that rock to provide for the children of Israel. Do you know how much water that is per day? It is 15 million gallons of water per day to take care of the children of Israel, to feed all of their people, their children, their animals, all of that. How many per week? A hundred million gallons of water. And I, I thought about it and I didn't do it. I, I wanted to jump online and see how many gallons of water is consumed every day in the city of Charlotte. I would have to say it's not even that much. Okay? So here's my point in, in bringing these facts to you, and that is this. What should you be thinking about during difficult times? How bad the times are? Or should you be reminded of this and be thinking about how big your God is and what he is able to do to take care of you? Now, here's what we do. Because this is 2023, and that was 4,000 years ago. So we have a tendency to think that if God wanted to do that, he's got to move within the realm of our technology that we have today. And he could, but who says he has to? He doesn't. If God needed to, to provide and take care of you, he could have some quail fly in for you. He could have some manna, some Krispy Kremes fall out of heaven for you. I mean, the Bible says Elijah, when he was fleeing Jezebel and Ahab, that he went to the brook Kidron. And the Bible says that the, the Lord had ravens bring meat to him to take care of him. And provide for him. So, so what's my point in all of this? The reason that we get worried and agitated is because we start thinking about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to get something to drink? Instead of saying, Heavenly Father, thank you that you take care of me. Heavenly Father, thank you that if you fed the children of Israel like this, you will surely take care of me. Can I get an Amen. All right, so I, I, I wanted to get this to you. Here's what worry is, and worry is simply a manifestation of fear. Worry is simply a manifestation of fear. You don't get worried about something you're not afraid of. If you are facing a need, you worry because you're afraid the need won't be taken care of. If you're, if you're facing a relationship crisis, you worry about that because you're afraid of how it might turn out. Fear, fear, fear is what is driving that. And so what we need to understand is with fear, fear 
always brings bondage. Now, the, the challenge for us is being able to readily identify when fear has crept in. And I'm going to say something to you. Fear is sneaky. Fear is subtle. Fear, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll be going along in life and all of a sudden you realize, okay, why am I so anxious? Why am I so agitated? Why am I so frustrated? Because I promise you somewhere along the line, fear has crept in there. Okay, let's look at a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15 says this, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear does nothing but produce bondage. So what is Jesus' answer to this? Well, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He said uh, to, those, to his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you know this verse, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me ask you a question. Is, is there any truth of God's word that you think you might not know? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. Because the, the, the word of God is, is so expansive that there are going to be truths from God's word that we're going to see throughout eternity, the Bible says. So uh, let me ask this question. Do you know all the truth from the word there is to know? No, you do not. Well, then, if that's the case, then there will never, or, or let me say it to you this way, that means there will always be more freedom waiting for you. Okay, I'm going to say that again because I'm not sure you got that. If there is more truth from God's word for us to know, then that means there is more freedom waiting for us to walk in. Okay? All right. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus said this. He, he, he said, don't worry about your life. You know, and then in the next verse he says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So what is Jesus telling us by this very first phrase in this verse? Look at the birds of the air. So can I say this to you? Um, and write this down, please. You cannot just not worry. You must choose to look and think about something else. And Jesus is telling you what to look at. Look at the birds. Now that sounds weird. Okay. Um, have, how many of you, when you're watching TV, now uh, when I was a kid, we didn't have cable. Okay, maybe some of y'all can identify with that. We had Able. All right, we had an antenna on top of the TV or we had one on top of the house. All right, and we did not have a remote control for the TV. I was the remote control for the TV. 
If my dad or whoever was watching TV, and usually I was down on the floor in front of the TV, if, if we wanted to change the channel, I was the remote. I changed the channel, all right? So guess what? If we didn't like what we were looking at, what did we do? We changed the channel, okay? If what you are looking at is causing your peace to be stolen from you, change the channel, Okay, change, look at something else. So what is Jesus telling us? He's saying this, don't focus on the need, don't focus on the crisis, focus on what he does. He said, look at the birds of the air. Does your heavenly father not take care of them and are you not much better than they? Focus on what Jesus does. So here's the Jesus answer. If you're concerned and worried, go bird watching. I didn't make it up. That's what Jesus said. So I double dog dare you. The next time you are concerned and worried about your life and are you going to be okay, I want you to go outside and just sit your tail down and look at the birds and watch them. Go bird watching. I don't know about you, but I can sit on my balcony. I have a second floor apartment and I'll sit on my balcony. I can look and I can see hundreds of birds and they are eating all the time. I have never had a bird climb up on my balcony and start pacing the floor saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Okay? So he goes on to say this. <laughs> All right, well, let me give you this. Write this down. You can tell whether you are focused on or thinking about the right or wrong thing by the presence of fear or the presence of peace. Is what you're looking at stealing your peace from you? You're all adults. You're smart enough. If it is, change it. Change what you're looking at. Go bird watching. Okay, so let's look at Matthew 6, 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Okay, so let me say this. Jesus is saying, which of you, by worrying, can make yourself taller? I, listen, I've worried enough that I ought to be about nine feet tall. So the answer to that question is, you can't. All right? Okay, here's what Jesus is saying to us. Write this down, please. People continue to worry because they can't admit that their situation is bigger than they are. You know what you're doing by worrying? You're trying to be your own God and solve your own problem. Instead of going to God and saying, God, listen, this situation is bigger than me, so I'm not going to waste any time worrying because it ain't going to help. It's not going to make me any bigger. It's not going to make me any more capable of being able to solve this problem. And so I'm going to put my attention on you. See, worrying will not make you any more qualified or equipped to take care of or provide for yourself. It doesn't change anything. Okay? Am I helping anybody this morning? All right, let's look at verses 28 and 29. So Jesus went on to say, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So Jesus already told you, go bird watching. Now he's telling you, go look at the flowers. Look at the flowers and find out who clothed them. 
okay? Your heavenly Father did. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, I want, you know, one of my favorite things to do, and, and you know, for those of you who have been at the church for a while, you know, uh, I will periodically go and see family that lives down in Florida. And, and uh, my, my grandparents, my, my grandmother, grandfather had a farm. Well, they still do. It's in the family. But, um, and they have pasture. They have acres of pasture land. And one of my most favorite things to do is to, because it's therapeutic, is to get on the zero-turn mower and go mow me some grass. Now, let me tell you why that's therapeutic to me, okay? Because what I do as a pastor, very often, more times than not, it takes a long time to see results in your life, in my life, in our church, and so forth and so on. And the reason that I love mowing so much, number one, I can get on the mower, I can put my headphones in, and I can just go to town and just mow, mow, mow. The other thing is it's instant gratification. I can look and I can see, boy, that looks better. That looks good, what I've mowed, all right? But here's one thing I've learned. Guess what? In a week or two, it's going to have to be done again. It's not a one-time deal. You know, another thing I enjoy doing, and, and don't ask me to come do it at your house, but I love to vacuum for that very same reason. Because when I vacuum, I love how the carpet looks when the vacuum gets through running over it, you know? It looks, it's all picked up and everything. Why? It's instant gratification. And so what I have learned, though, is I can't vacuum. I didn't vacuum once when I moved in that apartment, and I never have to do it again. It has to be done periodically. If you mow today, I promise you in a few days, you're going to have to mow again. Why? Because the grass keeps growing. Okay? So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or mowed, however you want to say it, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So I want to ask you a, a question. Are the birds eating then so will you. Is the grass growing and the flowers blooming? Then so will you. You will be clothed. So Jesus said, you will eat and you will be clothed. So let me go to a couple of other verses. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, as we begin to wrap this up. Therefore do not worry, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all, say all, all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, right as I'm wrapping up here, I want to ask you the question. I mentioned earlier that there is a line that you can cross where it goes from just thinking about your life to worrying about your life. So how can you tell whether when you've crossed the line and gone from just thinking about it to worrying about it? Well, you've crossed over to worry when that thing, and I'm going to use a word that you probably don't use in your vocabulary a lot, but it's, it's in the old King James. 
You've crossed over to worry when that thing has vexed you. It has vexed you. You know, as I was looking at this, I thought, you know, I, I don't ever, you know, I don't, somebody that's annoying me, if I'm in traffic and they pull out in front of me, I don't say, you vexeth me. Okay? I don't think you probably do either. But I had to look it up and see what the word vexed means. Here's what the word vexed means in the dictionary. You feel annoyed, frustrated, worried, especially with trivial matters. See, when the line is crossed, the line from just thinking about your life, planning for your life, putting your grocery list together, doing all the things, looking at nice clothes, thinking about what you would like to have and so forth and so on, the way that it gets over and you cross the line is when you begin to feel annoyed, frustrated, worried because those things are trivial matters, okay? Now, one last verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love. You remember I said worry is nothing but being afraid, it's fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, John is writing to believers here. Now, we hear God loves us. We just did a whole series on the love of God. But I want to remind you about this. He said, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The word perfect there means complete or fully developed. So I want to submit this to you, okay? If there's an area of your life that you are afraid and therefore are, are worried about, then I would say that's an area of your life that you are not developed in the love of God for you. Now, I know that might be kind of hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. If you're worried about how you're going to pay your bills, I can tell you that that's an area of your life that you are not confident in how much God loves you and therefore he will take care of you. If you're, if you're worried about your health, you're worried about your family, you're worried about your future, Whatever it is that you might be worried about, I can tell you without fear of contradiction, that is an area of your life that you are, have not developed your confidence and faith in how much God loves me and will provide and take care of me. Because here's what that verse says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It, the first part of that says, but perfect love Cast out fear. Here's the last thing I want you to write down, and that is this. Fully developed love, that word cast out, means expels with force. Now, my friend, uh, Officer Eccles, and I were talking about a situation that happened the other night. And uh, he and several officers had to get involved because there was a ruckus that started at a football game. And so they had to determine who was the responsible parties. And what they did to get rid of the fight was they had to expel with force 
the parties who were involved. You know why? Because if they let them stay, what's going to continue to happen? A fight. So what they had to do is they had to find out who were the instigators, who were the ones that were involved, and they had to expel them from the activity. Well, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make up your mind that if this is an area of my life that I am worried about, then I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about go bird watching, go flower watching, cut you some grass, do what you need to do to remind yourself that if God loves the birds and the flowers, he loves me so much more than those things and he will take care of me. And when you begin to get that revelation down on the inside of you, I'm telling you, that's when you'll begin to live in real peace. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever have a need? Some of you aren't sure. He did. You remember he had some taxes that were due. Huh? Yeah, he got an IRS bill in the mail. And it was tax time. It was coming up on April 15th and it was tax time. What did he do? Did he get upset and worried? How am I going to pay my taxes? What am I going to do? No, his confidence, his faith was in his heavenly father to take care of him and the Holy Spirit revealed to him, send Peter to go fishing. Peter likes to fish anyway, so send him fishing. And he told Peter, he said, okay, go ahead. When you cast your line in the water, the first fish you take up, open its mouth, there will be a coin in there. Go and pay my taxes and yours too. Jesus, you know, he was preaching a, he had him a crusade. They were having a revival at his church. And the Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association was responsible for all the people and to take care of them. And, and uh, they had been going a long time. And the disciples finally came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, um, the people are tired and hungry. Maybe you ought to send them home. And uh, they need something to eat. And uh, said, do you want us to go buy some food? What did Jesus say? No, you feed them. Can you imagine what those disciples said? You know, they, they probably went like this. Uh, we don't have enough to feed these people. So I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus have a need? Did he need to feed the people? Yes, he did. Did he get all anxious and upset and worried about feeding the people? No, what did he say? He asked the question, what do you have? You know why? Because he knew he was anointed with some multiplication anointing. And what did he do? He fed the multitude. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, that you can go in Harris Teeter and start multiplying food and fish, bread and fishes. But what I am telling you is you can live. What did Jesus say? My peace I give to you. So anytime that you see him operating in peace, say, and that's me too. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.